0: For that. That was wonderful. Uh, now, uh, Nathan, take us a little bit behind the music. When you do these mashups, is this just totally your brainchild? No. No? I get assistance sometimes. So this morning, who, who's, who, who, who bears the burden of the genius for this one? This is Christina this morning. So talk us through, Christina, like how do you put these two songs together? This is not scripted, if you can't tell. Um, was well, it just Superman songs in yes, your head? Okay. Superman. So in the chat earlier, but in the pre-show, you said Superman is your favorite hero. Yes, overall. S- say more about that, why? Cuz Nathan disagrees. We're going to find out more. No. Um I don't know. It's just he just seems so invincible and then just like also his humanity, you know, that moral compass that he has, like I, that's always been appealing to me. His moral compass. <laughs> so you seem pretty down on Superman. Not just like fine to have him in the top 5, like what? What? Why doesn't he work for you? I mean, you know, just homeboy, you know, I ain't got real problems, so I just can't relate. Okay. Okay. Fair you know, enough. of my dude, Spider-Man has nothing but problems. Yeah. Okay. And yet chooses to be good despite. Okay. Good. Now, Cynthia, I know in your contract no speaking. So, Superman, <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay. 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 All right. All right. Uh, so I, did, I, <laughs> I did want to start out talking about Superman today because. I do think he's a fascinating character. Obviously, he's the first superhero, right? Uh, first one introduced into the, the funny pages, the comic strips, and almost instantly, like almost overnight, became a worldwide sensation. Uh, he's he has existed in almost every form of media, including radio, you know, television, film, uh, podcasts, like all that kind. Of, which I know is just radio, but whatever, you know. Um, and and he is, like, to your point, right, like, he does seem to be basically perfect, you know, he, he's from another planet, so he has all of these amazing powers, uh, he has, you know, invulnerability, he has x-ray vision, heat vision, super hearing, and most, most of the comic writers, when they write about Superman's powers, like, if he's in space, he can, like, close his eyes eyes and listen to stuff happening all over the world, right? So, I mean, it's not just like he can hear pretty well. It it is really, truly, like, very superhuman. And so that does create interesting problems for writing him. And there are kind of two different ways that comic writers tackle creating a story for Superman, because story has to have conflict. And so the two kinds of conflicts Superman gets into, the, the, the easy one, I think, is the one where they just like make up another villain who is also an alien and strong. And then it's, then they just sort of punch each other until one of them falls down, and usually that's not Superman, right? Um, so, so, I mean, again, uh, it might, they might have a cool costume design or something like that, but at the end of the day, it's not very interesting because you're just kind of just seeing, who, again, who, can fall, who falls down first. I think the more interesting kinds of stories that are told are the ones where Superman's powers are not particularly helpful, uh, when he has to face problems that you can't just punch. Uh, and that's to your point, Christina, right? Then what, is foc- what, what becomes the focus of Superman is not so much the super part, but the, the man part. You know, the, the guy who is an orphan, the guy who was, was adopted and raised by, you know, the good old cornbread Midwest farm folk, right? Uh, and the guy who is an undocumented immigrant, right? Uh, so, so there's a way in which Superman represents uh, the vulnerability of a lot of people in a way that I think is not immediately obvious when you look at, you know, the big blue S, and yet when a comics writer can really tap into that it becomes a really interesting story because we see yeah when you can't just puff your chest out and be powerful and defeat the problem through intimidation or raw power do you have what it takes to do the right thing you know even then and superman that that's what actually makes him super is the answer for superman is yes that what what makes superman truly a superhero is not his invulnerability or his laser eyes or whatever, it's that he always does the right thing, no matter the cost, no matter the, the issue. And I think in a way that's really compelling. So one of my favorite comic writers in general is a guy named Mark Waid. Uh, if you haven't read any of his stuff, look him up. But uh, if you remember in Man of Steel, the whole the S stands for hope thing, like Mark Wade made, that, that's his line that he wrote in the comics. Uh, Superman is his favorite and one of my favorite quotes from him when he's talking about Superman, he said, I, at the end of the day, I don't want Superman to be more like us. I want us to be more like him. And I think that illustrates when Superman works in a story, why he works. Because, again, he's showing us not like, oh, if you could run faster than a uh, speeding bullet or leave buildings in a single bound, you could do this. No, it's not that part of it, right? It's the, it's the goodness. It's that desire to, no matter the cost, uh, no matter how complicated you always strive to do right, and that is something anyone can do. So that's, that's where I think Superman becomes aspirational. So I love the idea that Mark Wade and other great Superman writers have, that you know sometimes it takes a guy from the sky to come down and show us what it means to be truly human. Uh, and obviously, you can probably see where I'm going with this, right? Uh, super, Superman, was, Superman was actually created by two Jewish kids, uh, Joel, uh, Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster. And so a lot of times, Superman gets... Uh, turned into a Jesus figure, but he 's actually more of a Moses figure again, right? Parents put him in a little basket, sent him away. He was raised by adopted parents you know so so the whole idea with Superman is that Superman can 't really save us from ourselves, right He can remove obstacles if there 's an asteroid hurtling towards earth or something he can you know do that, but at the end of the day, when it comes down to just us being us he can 't He can't do anything about that. What he can do is show us how to be better, show us how to be human in the fullest sense. And and that's what I want to see with us uh, for Jesus today, is that one one of the things we do when we talk about Jesus in church is we talk about what Jesus saves us from, when we talk about Jesus saving us from sin and death and that kind of stuff, but we don't talk a lot about what Jesus saves us for, how Jesus shows us what it means to be fully human in the world around us. And I think that's an important question to start our new year with. Uh, so in that light, I want to hand, uh, hand everything back over to Nathan and the worship team and invite you all to begin worshiping with, with us and singing and celebrating uh, this God who not only rescues us from sin and death, but then empowers us and enables us and invites us to become fully human together. So uh, in that spirit, Nathan, would you uh, take it back over and would you all stand with us? We are in the season of epiphany. Uh, so you know, we just finished Christmas, which is the celebration of Jesus arriving in our midst as Emmanuel, God with us. And so the season of Epiphany asks, well, what does it what does it mean to say that God is with us, right? What does it mean to say that Jesus is revealed to us? And, and an important part of Epiphany, the actual the actual holiday of Epiphany, is celebrates when the the Magi arrived, right? So it's it's actually celebrating that it's not just that Jesus arrives to us it's that it's uh, to the whole world, right? Not just, not just to the insiders, so to speak. So these are the questions we asked during Epiphany, right? What does it mean that God is with us? How do we celebrate God being present among us in this profound, real way? And, and then again, what does it mean that, it, that the us in question is not just like us, but us the world? So this year, our series is called Spark, and we're looking at some of the, the main beats of faithfulness in uh in scripture and how uh how those are part of the long story that god has been telling forever how we're part of part of all of that but then also how in a very specific way jesus enables those things in us so we're we're beginning i think where it's always this maybe i say this is always appropriate because this is how my brain works i'm very much a big picture thinker so before if I get into a project, I need to know like the overall agenda you can 't just like dump me into the steps and, and send me off right uh, and ma- I, maybe that 's why I love jigsaw puzzles so much i I, I did like a hundred jigsaw puzzles over covid that 's an exaggeration there 's probably only like ninety five um, but uh, when i when I do puzzles, you know I have the box sitting out so I can see the picture because you have all these pieces spread out all over the table, and particularly if you 're doing a any kind of a challenging puzzle, it can be difficult to figure out how they're all supposed to fit together. So you want that you want that big picture to kind of help you see where things go. And I think that's really, when we talk about what it means to be faithful in our world and all our time, I think the big picture can be really helpful because there are All kinds of different people who have all kinds of different recommendations for what a Christian should do, how a Christian should vote, what a Christian should believe, who a Christian should like and not like, and it can be really confusing. It can feel like you're looking at a thousand piece puzzle spread out all over the table and all the pieces aren't even turned over the right way. And so we're starting with the big picture today because I think once we see the vision that God is calling us to, it becomes a lot easier to sift through the the complex pieces of our lives and identify these are the pieces that fit. These are the pieces that are part of the right puzzle, but they're in the wrong place. And then these are the ones that, I don't know whose puzzle they're for, but they don't belong here, right? And you put them somewhere else. Uh, so counterintuitively, maybe we're going to actually be in the prophets for this series. Uh, and again, that's because as we're going to see today, when we talk about Jesus, who is the image of our faith, the one that we should all be looking to, um, Jesus didn't just drop out of nowhere. He actually came uh, as a part of the long story that God is telling. And and again, you'll see that really clearly today. Uh, But I think by by going back to the prophets and asking how the prophets taught us to be faithful, and then looking at Jesus and seeing how Jesus modeled that, that helps us kind of draw that connection, right? Because these prophets were working five, six, sometimes 700 years before Jesus was born. So there's a nice gap in time. And Jesus understood that the way they called God's people to faithfulness was the way that he was faithful. And so we can continue to draw that line into our day and time. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with us to Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, If you grab one of the Bibles out of the back, that's on page 429. And you know, if you don't have a Bible, keep that one. We'd love for you to consider it a gift. Uh, Now, as you're turning to Isaiah 42, this is a section of the book of Isaiah that a lot of scholars call second Isaiah. And it's because uh, the prophet Isaiah lived in the late eighth century BC, so like the you know seven hundred, like you know, seven hundreds. Uh, this part of the book, though, was written uh, probably right after the exile in in the late, or the, sorry, the early 5, BC. Always you know it's messed up because it goes backwards, right? So it's the early five hundreds, which is like the five, sixties. Whatever. It's a couple hundred years after the original Isaiah wrote, and so most scholars think that uh, the original Isaiah founded like a school of prophecy, and so they they he you know he passed down his prophetic mantle through the generations, and new generations of prophets would write you know under his authority in his path kind of in his in his guidance. So. Um, we don't really have anything like that today, but if you could imagine, I mean, like there's people who call themselves like Lincoln Republicans or Roosevelt Democrats, and like what they're trying to communicate there is that I'm I'm doing politics the way they did, right? And that's it's kind of the same thing. Um, there's actually also a third Isaiah that we'll talk about in a few weeks, but eventually all of this got collected into one big book that we now call Isaiah, right? And there's lots of reasons why how scholars know when the differences are, and it's super interesting if you're a nerd like me, but not particularly relevant for what we're doing today. All you need to know is that I, this Isaiah, second Isaiah, was writing to people who had lived through the exile, so the complete devastation of their culture, um, you know destruction of their infrastructure, destruction of their politics, destruction of all of their social networks and social support systems and all that kind of stuff. and they were left with this like completely devastated and destroyed culture. You know, no priests no rulers, no no cultural leaders really of any kind, those had all been deported to Babylon. And then all of these people that were left were trying to kind of fill, figure out how to reinvent everything that had been destroyed. Um, I don't know, like, <laughs> kind of imagine if like City Hall and Rowlett just vanished, right? Then all of a sudden there's no one to coordinate trash pickup and uh, you know, street maintenance and, you know, all, the, all of the little things that none of us think about because we vote, we elect people to do that for us, right? And then if that was all just magically gone, like, who even is in charge of figuring out what the number for the trash company is, right? I don't, you know, the, that, that was sort of the situation they were in. It was how do, how do we start over and rebuild from scratch? So you can imagine the kind of, uh, the kind of feeling they would, they would be experiencing, right? This, this sense of helplessness, the sense of smallness, the sense of wondering if they could even recover from this, you know, if there even is any coming back. And so that's the context into which 2nd Isaiah speaks. And and they they create this character that is just called the servant, okay? it, It becomes a very popular character. The servant ends up showing up in several other places in Isaiah. We're going to be looking at several of them. Um, But scholars have spent a lot of time, and by a lot of time, I mean like literally hundreds of years, arguing about who the servant is, right? Is the servant the prophet, speaking about themselves in the third person? Is the the servant someone that the prophet knew? They're like, let me tell you about my friend, the servant. Is the servant a prediction of someone? And there's no consensus. No one actually knows And so what most scholars do, and what we're going to do today as we read this this text, is we're going to treat the servant as an illustration of God's ideal follower, okay? This is that sort of, if, if if you could weird science a perfect follower of God, this is what they would look like, okay? And this is what the prophet is putting forward as an ideal for everyone to look up to, kind of like we were talking about Superman, right? Someone that they could... So let's begin reading in Isaiah uh, in verse 1 and just kind of hear, hear what the servant does, okay? God says, look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. and He will bring justice uh, to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. Okay. Now there's a lot here, but I I love that the servant's call is this very public thing, right? God strengthens the servant and puts God's own spirit on the servant, so that they can go out into the world. But when they go out into the world, they're not going out as this like, terrifying warrior who's going to conquer everyone. Or again, like we were talking about, like, he's going to like punch everyone to death, right? They're going out in this incredibly gentle spirit, where they're not raising their voice in public where the weakest reed doesn't have to worry about getting stepped on and broken. Or the image is like, you know, the servant putting their hands around a a flickering candle flame to protect it, you know, from from being blown out. Uh, It's it's this power, this, this sense of protecting. The servant will not rest until there's justice in the whole world. And yet, it's this incredibly gentle power, this power that refuses to... Coerce that refuses to uh, to match violence with violence and I don't know I got to be honest friends like I I was really encouraged when I was reading these verses because um, coming into coming into the new year I felt a lot like that weak read you know that one that just is is tired and that feels like I just don't have much left in the tank you know I was reading all the New Year's posts and my friends were like oh I'm going to go get it and take 2023. And I was like, I mean, can I just vote present? Like I I showed up, do I get anything for that? You know, uh, I'm just tired and I, I feel worn out. And um, yeah, so reading this passage and hearing that this is, this is who God is and this is how God calls us to be, is to, you know, to care for the weak and the broken down and to care for the vulnerable. Uh, it, it was just something I took a lot of, Encouragement from. And so uh, I want to invite the worship team back up because uh, I don't want to rush past this, right? I, I'm, I'm going to guess that I'm not the only person that is sort of staggered into 2023 and uh, not the only person who feels like that flickering flame that doesn't have much left and is afraid that a strong wind is going to snuff me out. And so I want to take us back into worship and I want us to just to sing together. And, and, and sing a song of, uh, of thanksgiving and praise to the God who uh, cups God's hands around us and protects us and cares for us uh, and says, I am the one who strengthens you. And it's not by, my, or not by your spirit, but by my spirit that you do these things. So I'm, I'm basically inviting you to, to join me in resting in the promises of God. So uh, would you stand with me again as we sing? So uh, if you are at all familiar with the servant texts in Isaiah, and if you're not, that's fine, but if you are, you're probably wondering why I didn't talk about the most obvious uh, identifier that a lot of scholars go to, which is Jesus. There, there are a lot of scholars who say that Jesus must be the, the servant, and uh, this, is a, this is a prophecy of Jesus. Now, uh, you'll see why that uh, why we want to do that in a second, but the reason I sort of held back from that is because uh, saying that when uh, Isaiah, Second Isaiah, whatever, right when he when when they wrote this passage, that they were primarily predicting what Jesus was going to be like is actually a, a fundamental misunderstanding of who biblical prophets are, and it's a super common one, um, but we we tend to think of a prophet primarily, uh, essentially, as a fortune teller, right? Someone whose main job is to predict the future. And that's actually not what a biblical prophet is. Now, there were those in the ancient world, right? Like oracles and stuff like that. But a biblical prophet's main job was to speak truth to God's people about their present lived reality. And there was some times that there was talk about the future, but it was only in service of the present. So, you know, even the, even the famous uh, virgin birth prophecy that's in First Isaiah is because Isaiah wants to convince the king that something he's saying is true. And so he says, so that you know that this is true, here in a, in a couple months, a, a young woman is going to conceive a child and then there's here's all this stuff that's going to be true about him. Right. So again, it was it was like, yeah, this is this is going to happen in the future, but that's so you know that what I'm telling you right now about what God wants you to do is true, right? So all of that is to say, these servant texts are not looking forward to and anticipating Jesus mainly. Okay, mainly they are from the prophet addressing the the lived reality of those who have survived the exile, those who feel small, those who feel powerless, those who feel like they don't know what to do, those who wonder if there is even any moving forward. That's who Isaiah is addressing, and that's who the servant texts are mainly for, okay? Now, there's a real specific reason that we talk about them as though they're about Jesus, and it's mainly because Jesus used them to talk about himself, Okay, so we're not we're not just pulling this out of nowhere, okay. But I want to I want to finish our text for today. I want to read a little bit further, and then you'll see I think what's going on here, right? So so let's go ahead and finish uh, reading reading in verse forty or chapter forty two today. So this is again continuing to talk about the servant. Remember who's who's protecting the weakest reed and and the flickering flame. It says God, the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. God created the earth and everything in it. God gives breath to everyone. Uh, life to everyone who walks the earth. And it's, it's that person, that God, who says, I, the Lord, have called you, my people, to demonstrate righteousness. my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. So again, God says to the servant, I'm giving you to my people so that you can show them how to be my people so that you can be the light to the nations, which that was, that was God's people's original calling, right? To be a kingdom of priests and a light to the nations. Uh, I will, and then there's that part at the end, right? I will, I will send you to free the captives and to release those from prison. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, that might ring a bell because that's the, that's the, uh, the language that Jesus used when he announced his own public ministry in Luke chapter 4, right? And, and I don't know if you remember that story. Again, if you are here a couple of weeks ago, if you're not, I'm just going to retell it for you, right? Uh, Jesus goes to a synagogue and he's, he's the guest speaker for the day. And so when he gets up, he specifically asks for the scroll of Isaiah. And when he opens the scroll, he opens it to one of the texts that uses this language. This is, again, one of those common motifs that 1st and 2nd and 3rd Isaiah kind of use again and again and again. Good news to the poor, sight to the blind, release to the captives, freedom for those in prison. And then Jesus rolls all that back up and he says, uh, That text has been fulfilled, and you're listening today. So Jesus looks at the servant as his own model for what his public ministry is going to be about. And again, that makes sense because during Advent, we saw that Jesus is part of a long story. He did, God didn't just, you know, drop him into the story out of nowhere, right? This was Jesus was part of this long story of rescue that God has been telling from the beginning. And, and Jesus himself understood that, and so he looked back, to people like Isaiah to inform what he should be about, that this was his mission. He looked at the servant and said, yeah, that's, that's my mission. And so if it was Jesus' mission, that means it's our mission too. Now again, I said at the beginning today that this is like the, the big picture, right? The big puzzle, you know, the, the, box, the, the box picture on the puzzle. Uh I think some of the things we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes are going to be, um, I don't want to say difficult to hear, they're going to maybe be stressful, especially if you're like sort of staggering into 2023. Um, But I just, again, I want you to remember we're at the beginning of a series and we're at the beginning of talking about how Jesus is good news for us. Um, But, you know, I think you look at our little church, right? Um, We're a little church here in Rowlett. And, you know, kind of scattered around. We've we've had some hard times over the last few years. I know a lot of churches have, but it feels like we've had more than most. Um, and we are all over the place, right? There's some of us who meet here in a building in Roulette. Uh, there are some of us who are all over the country, really even all over the world, right? Hi to our friends in uh, Kenya and Chihuahua who join us. And I think it's, uh, I don't know, It's just, it's just it's easy in this context to wonder... Uh, what difference we can even possibly make, which is something we're actually going to talk a lot more about next week, right? It's easy to wonder what we're doing or, or what what good can possibly be accomplished, uh, small as we are, scattered as we are. And, you know, I've been here a little over eight years, and I can I can just honestly tell you, I don't know that I've ever had a clue what the next year at Catalyst held. I think the leadership team and, you know, folks who have been around a while can back me up on that, Right? Uh, anytime we make plans, it seems like something crazy happens. You know, from a worldwide pandemic to more immediate stuff, and completely shipwrecks any kind of plans we made. So uh, I don't know what 2023 has in store for us. Um, I I know that we are going to, uh, you know, we just we just welcomed the preschool into our building. They they had their first full week this week. Uh, things went well by all accounts. Uh, I know we're planning another trip back down to, to our friends in Chihuahua City to, to continue to partner with them. Uh, I know that for our folks who are virtual, we are having some conversations about what it looks like to include y'all in local ministry, not local to Rowlett, but local to where you are, uh, as we here in Rowlett continue to try to see what we can do to be good, good friends to our city and good neighbors to our, our, our local neighbors. Um, and I know we want to keep trying to ask those questions. How do we be about the things Jesus is about? You know, how do we, uh, how do we stand up against oppression? How do we stand with the marginalized? How do we be a church of people who look like Jesus in these real tangible, practical ways? Uh, and I don't know that there's like a, a real simple, easy answer to that. I think if it was simple, there'd probably be, I don't know, maybe be more folks that did it, um, I do know that I feel, you know, I feel like that week reading that flickering candle right now, and I know I'm not the only one. And so uh, here at the beginning of 2023, uh, I just want to make sure you know it's okay to feel that way, that uh, lots of people throughout the long history of God's people have felt that way. And in those times, God comes to us and assures us that God is with us and assures us that here's, here's the thing I hope that we take away from today if there's nothing else. It was how God opened that passage where it said, I am the one who calls my servant and I am placing my spirit on them, right? Uh, this, is not one, this is not like a rah-rah, let's all dig deep and try harder in 2023 uh, because faith honestly has never been about trying harder. Um, faith has always been about trusting more deeply. And so as we're moving towards a time of response, uh, that's what I want to invite you into, is not um, how, can you do, how can you buckle up and double down in 2023? But what does it look like for you to uh, create some space for your faith to deepen? What does it look like to trust more deeply? And maybe, uh, maybe we could use this language, to be more present to God. To not let our fear or our anger or our shame shrink us away or turn us away, but rather to trust that the more we allow ourselves to be present to God, the more God will renew us and restore us and will deepen our calling. Uh, so with that in mind, I want to I invite you to the communion table today. Um, you, know, you don't have to be a member of Catalyst to receive communion with us because it's not Catalyst doesn't own this table, right? This is uh, the table that Jesus sets for us, and Jesus prepares a place for each of us. So the only, the only thing you have to do to share communion with us is to accept it because it comes from Jesus. This is, this is again, a, a, a gift and a meal that we receive by faith together. So before we come to the table, uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of examine. I'm going to just give you some questions that you can meditate on, that you can prayerfully consider between you and God. And then once we've worked through those questions, I'm going to pray for all of us, and then we'll receive communion together, and we'll respond with one final song. Uh, So here's the first question I want you to consider. Did you think about Jesus as you think about who he is, even what we've taught the, the characters and the qualities we've talked about in him today, where does my life look like Jesus? Where are some places that, that you, would, you, know, you and God would agree, like, yeah, like we align on this. Now, where does my life not look like Jesus' life? Finally, how is God inviting me to be changed this year? Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us this morning that we might hear uh, this poem about your servant, the one that the prophet imagined would come among your people and show us uh, the way you have called us to be in the world. And we confess that uh, while it sounds amazing, it also sounds overwhelming, particularly when we consider where we are at the beginning of this new year. Uh, we admit that uh, for a lot of us, this seems impossible, and it seems like something that it would be easier to just uh, abdicate and let someone else be in charge of. And so uh, we, we come to you humbly and by faith, trusting that when you say that you're giving your spirit to the servant, that means that you're giving your spirit to us as your church. And we're trusting that we really can let go of our desire to be in control and be steering this thing. And we can, we can simply rest in faith in you and be made new and be, be refreshed so that we can accomplish the good work that you have prepared for us. As we receive these elements today, we pray that they would be a spiritual food, that in receiving them, we would receive the grace that we need to trust you. And then by partaking in this simple ritual that we do every week, we would yet again be reminded that we are your church, that we are your children, that you love us beyond measure, and that you are with us. We offer these prayers, and we now approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. The night before Jesus was killed, he shared this meal with his disciples, and at that meal, he broke bread. He gave it to them, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink, and as we do, we remember Jesus's death until he returns. Uh, friends, as we're going today, I want to thank all of you here at Catalyst who are continuing to give in this new year. We're Really grateful you support uh, the ministry that way, and obviously also to all of our fantastic volunteers who create this space for us week after week after week. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, the, uh, again, we were talking earlier when we were talking about Superman. The thing about Superman is he, he can't save us from ourselves, right? And there's, there's a sense in which I think that's true of Jesus as well. Jesus conquers sin and death. Uh, Jesus gives us the grace that we need to say yes but at the end of the day, we still have to respond in faith. Um, the the only thing that uh, God can't do for us is to get us to quit hiding from God. Uh, that has to be a place where we respond in faith. And so, if that's an area where uh, maybe in this new year you're wanting to to grow in making space uh to say yes to god i would really encourage you to check out our spiritual practices guide Uh, if you're in the building that's on the the wall on your way out the one that says you know welcome to catalyst Uh, and then if you're in uh, on the live chat that should be in the description for the video there should be some links in there um, and one of those is our spiritual practices guide and that's it's not exhaustive. Uh, it, uh, it doesn't even have some of my favorite spiritual practices on it. It's just five that our uh, leadership team decided we wanted to highlight here at Catalyst, and it's a quick start guide. So if you've, you know, if you've never read the Bible for transformation instead of information before, we have a, a guide to how to do that. If you've never, uh, if you, if your prayers never made it past, uh, you know, God is great, God is good, or now you lay me down to sleep, or bless us, O Lord, for these are Thy gifts, you know, which are great prayers. Uh, but if, if they've never made it past that, there's a quick start guide in there to praying, or if you're not sure what the difference between fasting and an eating disorder is, which, which there is a difference, and it's an important difference, obviously, right? We talk about, we talk about those in the, in that quick start guide, but the whole point of that is just to help give you a place to start opening some space in your life to be present to God, to allow God's Spirit to transform you, and so, uh, if, if, uh, kind of like me, you're, you're just weary in the beginning of this new year, that's a great place to start. Is just by resting into God and who God is and how God loves us. Uh, and that'll be really important as we move forward in this series because it's going to keep coming back to that again and again and again. Yes, the calling that God has put before us is way too big for us. Uh, and yes, that's on purpose uh, because obviously if any one of us could save the world alone, we'd, we'd be Superman, right? And we're not. Uh, and so... Uh, so we do this together, and we do it through God and with God's Holy Spirit. So, so that's good news for us. We're actually going to find out. Um, but it requires us to say yes to God and to be present to God. So I hope that's a journey that you're interested in going on together, because it's one that I'm excited to take with you. So uh, with that in mind, would you stand? I'd like to dismiss us with a blessing this morning. Uh, catalyst, as you go, would you go knowing that the God who called you is the same God who is with you, the God who came among us as Jesus? Uh, The same God who promised never to leave us or forsake us, to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Uh, Would you go knowing that this God is beside you and behind you and is going before you and will never, ever, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.